0: You're listening to the Strong Asian Lead Podcast. I'm your host, David Masami Moria. And I just want to thank you so much for tuning back into our podcast. We've been off the air for a couple weeks now, because you know what? Heritage Month was busy. Like, I don't know about you other Asians out there who have to go on panels and take questions and just want to be everywhere, be on every Zoom call. Like you just want to go everywhere. It was gnarly. So and I was being asked to do a lot of different things. So the podcast in itself, at the time, I was doing the editing, the producing, the, the quality control, making sure everything sounded good, the posting, putting the show notes in. Like It was a lot of work, everybody. So I, got, I fell far behind. That's on me. So I apologize for not having put it out so much. Um, you know what? Sam and Amanda's episodes right now. Jason Chu and Alan Z, I promised you have the episode out when your CD dropped. So bad, my mistake. Mickey Ishikawa also mentioned that you were, your episode was going to drop last month. Didn't happen. Sorry about that. Um, but you know what? We're back on a schedule now. Uh, now that we have our new podcast editor Ravi Ladd and our new podcast producer Ken Attenuay, because you know what? Without a team, it's so hard to do everything yourself. I'm so thankful for everything you've given us, and you're giving me the time to do what I need to do and focus on the things I need to work on. I can't do this without them. So thank you for Ravi. Kenna, and our show notes writer, Sadia Hussain. Like, I can't do it without a team. So I just want to thank everybody right now. And anybody who's tuning in again, like, thank you so much for tuning back in. I know not only do we have new episodes coming out, and now we're going to be back to a weekly schedule now that Robbie's been able to pick up by Slack. Um, The other thing is, we actually made the top 20 for Feedspot for Asian Movie Podcasts. Don't know how we did it because you know what? We only had a few episodes out, but you know what? Someone saw the notice and I, I look forward to like doing more of that. I just want to thank Anju for putting us up on the feed spot and listening to our podcast episode. Um, just putting that quick shout out right now. So in any case, let's get back to our weekly program. This episode today is with Samantha Wan and Amanda joy. Let's get to it.
1: There's a bridge of understanding you don't have to cross. And You're not constantly educating people and you're not constantly trying to smile when someone said some awkward racist thing that is such a common thing that happens on, in the wider industry where you just have to smile and pretend that everything's fine.
2: Yeah, there's also this thing too that really helps as a creator when you have more people of color on a set because then you're not the only person catching the cultural things and you're not the only voice for your culture.
0: You're listening to Strong Asian Lead, a podcast platform for Asians across the diaspora to share their stories about what it means to be an Asian creative in the entertainment industry. Throughout this podcast, you'll hear me and my guests have deep discussions about the industry, the paths they forge, and their unique experiences on and off the film set. Thank you for tuning in. Our mission as Strong Asian Lead is to amplify the creative power of the Asian entertainment diaspora, create space for artists to tell their stories, and provide resources to support emerging artists in their careers. My name is David Masami Moria. I'm an entrepreneur, career coach, screenwriter, and activist. Today, I am pleased to introduce Samantha Wan and Amanda Joy. They have the creators of Second Gen, a coming of age comedy about two second generation millennials and inseparable best friends who move out to prove their immigrant families and themselves that they can make it on their own. Here's my interview with Samantha Wan and Amanda Joy. Thank you so much for coming on. This is so cool. I've watched your show, so I'm super excited.
2: Ah, thank (laughs) you so much for having us.
0: How are you both doing? It's been a wild year and things have been so great in some ways and terrible in others. Just doing a check in. How are you both doing?
2: That feels like a big question (laughs) right now. I don't know because are David are you in Toronto? No, you're not in Toronto.
0: No, I'm in Los Angeles.
2: Right, so we're in Toronto, and Toronto just got put back into a lockdown for a stay at home order for six weeks. We've been Uh, at the
1: longest lockdown in North America,
2: (laughs) and so they're now police. Traveling the streets now Ticketing people If they're outside their home Everything's wow. shut down We're And yeah That was just this, this weekend A couple of days ago It's <laughs> It's it It's Yeah
1: Definitely you the can Edmo's feel it. a little heavy here At
0: the same time Like as much as that sounds Awful Like police are Ticketing for just going outside Or curfew It also sounds like the right thing.
2: <laughs> I agree, and I also like. I think many people feel like this actually should have happened sooner, so it wouldn't
1: be right. so bad right now. Like, I think a lot of the concern comes from how they're going to choose who to ticket and who they're going to approach, and the fact that they now have permission to just approach people on the street. That opens the door to a lot of uh, a lot <laughs> just of say, discrimination. You're just yeah. <laughs> just 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 go. We don't have to beat
2: around the bush here. <laughs> yeah,
0: I saw Korea do that. Everyone was getting tickets and inside but at the same time here if you have a police come and do that i don't know about canada but toronto and specifically if you're just having police out no police presence is great and they need something softer <laughs> just like here's <laughs> tickets just tickets no one with the gun no one with the
1: <laughs> yeah maybe yeah. if it was city workers it wouldn't be so bad
0: yeah it is a true pleasure to have you both on uh, this podcast for strong Asian lead today pleasure to be here. Please introduce yourselves. I want to make sure you have the time to say where you're coming from. What's your hometown? What's your career background like? And I think you would love to, I would love to know, and I'm sure the audience would love to meet you.
1: Em, do you want to go first? Uh, Sure. So, uh, well, first I'll say that in case your audience isn't familiar, we're both Canadian, Asian-Canadian actors, producers, writers working up here. We created a show called Second Gen that's been airing on Omni and, and previously aired on City as well. My name is Amanda Joy. I'm an actor, writer, producer, and I've been told I'm I'm funny in some way. So I think that's a part of me. Yeah, I'm just happy to be here, happy to be talking about the show, happy to be talking about the industry, and happy to be talking about representation.
2: I'm also
1: I think because people can't see us. I'm I'm Chinese
2: Canadian, and Amanda is also Filipino. As well as wow, I just realized I'm like Chinese, Amanda? <laughs>
1: like you're you're mixed Yeah, as I'm, well. half, I'm half I'm <laughs> I'm mixed. I'm Filipina and Chinese.
2: Wow, that's so silly. We've been making a show for three years and I had to had to like take pause for a moment. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah. So Writer, producer, actor, director as well in the kind of in the in the scheme of things. I mean, I think Amanda's more into writing. I'm more into directing, but we, you know, we should share a lot of things just as the creators of the show together. Yeah. And me, I started in theater, going to theater school, then, you know, realized I need to make a living more so. And yeah, I did my first uh, ever film with Amanda Joy, and that's how we met.
1: Oh, I guess I should say how I started I started as a kid model and doing commercials. My, my one of my first television gigs was a Marine Land commercial. I got cut out of because I got scared of the deer. <laughs> what was there? A deer in your Marine Land commercial? Because there was <laughs> like so there was like a petting zoo part of the Marine La- of Marine Land. So I was not a very smart kid. And I picked up some food off the ground and put it in my pockets because I was just like, you're a kid and you collect everything. And then I guess the deer smelled it. So <laughs> they were insanely interested in me and I was insanely not interested in them. So it, uh, the director had to chase them away with a megaphone. And that was my first commercial job. It's
2: amazing. You're still in film.
1: <laughs> it's just
2: the trauma. Still it in all. film.
1: And I've gotten over my fear of, of petting deer.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I did the whole wacky theater school thing. I remember my first week of school. I went to the National Theater School of Canada and there are like so many great things like Shakespeare and all that stuff. But also my first week, they're like, you're a tree. And I think we had to pretend to be a tree for like- Two hours And we were a tree In different places We were a tree in Africa Then we were a tree in the tundra And then there was a point Where they're like You're a tree In a pile of shit Growing out of the manure And I was like Okay this is too much This, this is Your life was
1: a song <laughs> From a chorus
2: line It's so like Okay this is what I've chosen to do Yeah and then once We got out into the real world I was like I'm ready You know you, you graduate And you're like Yeah I'm so ready To get into the industry And then as a man And I both found out Like our first roles Were like geisha And mail order bride And I was like Okay Okay hey, this is the world that we are in right
1: now when we first started. Yeah. <laughs> I remember us both showing up to the audition for the geisha and just being like, oh, yeah. Oh, boy.
2: Like so gung ho. I like now I'm like, oh, Lord, Sam, like even like tried to dress up like was so desperate, like a role that was like, hey, do you want to be this token? And I was like, yes, because what else is there? <laughs>
1: that's how they get us (laughs) yeah
0: yeah that's so rough i feel like that's i think it's a lot of people's experience and in in the introduction to their industry is are the stereotype roles and there's always that the pull between i need the job (laughs) i need the work i need Mm -hmm. i need the practice and the experience and the other side is this is awful this is not how i depict myself neither of you are japanese (laughs) so going out for geisha is they don't know the difference but we know it's like feels weird feels wrong
1: i think it was specifically geisha saved by white people also like in some sort of peril say by white
0: people. <laughs> uh, that's just its own thing in itself. You both talked about being Chinese-Filipino and both being Canadian. Now, how do you find you know that power in yourself in naming that identity? I know there's some people like myself, I didn't think I was Asian for a long time and didn't accept it, didn't believe in it. And I think I read some an article, one of you said that it felt the same way. You talk, expand a little more on that, but... How do you feel in this now to say this for yourself, especially in this industry that Asian Americans are coming up?
2: I grew up in Vancouver. That's where I did most of like my middle school, high school experience. I mean, I've I've, I've jumped all over the place before that. But I just say I'm from Vancouver because that's where I did my formative years. There are so many Asians. I would say were, my school is majority Asian, actually, in high school. I never thought about it. I just never thought about being Asian. And then once I came out of theater school, that identity became like a huge deal at first because they're like, well, what can you go out for casting? And all of those things. And at first it was like, oh no, I'm pigeonholed with this identity that I'd never even considered myself until now someone had to put me in a box and put my picture up. Now it feels empowering. Like now it feels so great, I would say, especially because Amanda and I have also been able to, to like stand up and tell our own stories like from when I started from not knowing to like it's sucking to now it being quite amazing and you know I I have Sandra's t-shirt of like it's an honor just being Asian like I truly feel that and I truly feel thankful for the community and the camaraderie around that and and my culture.
1: Yeah I I definitely feel like growing up there's a point In your life where you understand what race is, and there's a point in your life where people start putting it on you. And prior to that, you may not feel Asian or you may not feel that you're racialized until you go out into the world and it becomes clear to you that people see you differently. And I think like Sam's saying, it's empowering coming into your own and saying, Yes, I'm Asian. And I but I would definitely say for me it's more of it's not a straightforward line because there are times where I'm just I feel so empowered and so happy and so proud that I'm Asian. And then there's this other side of me that wonders what would it be like to move through the world without being racialized? What would it be like to not have all of these extra barriers or these extra things put on you? What would it be like to just be a writer, to just be an actor, to just be a producer, not to be the Asian writer, the Asian actor, the Asian producer? What would it be like to be seen as neutral? And so I waver between these two feelings and sometimes I feel guilty for wondering, But I also feel like it's a normal thing, especially when that weight of when there are times and especially in this industry, when there are times when that weight of racial inequity really comes down on you where you wonder what it would be like if it wasn't there.
2: I also feel like it's okay to like I like that you say that because I think it's okay to also have a complicated relationship with your your culture sometimes, too, from your background. I mean, that was also my case growing up. As well, in the sense of like, I'm a proud Asian person, but also like when I was young, sometimes there were things that didn't like that my dad did. And then he would be like, well, that's the culture. And I was like, well, then I don't like the culture. Like I it was, there was also like a thing I had to come to terms with, too, for myself. And I think, yeah, I do think we don't talk about like the, the complicated relationship that can be with it. And that's okay, too. And you can still be proud. And still have like this reckoning with it as well as we grow
0: so eloquently put that complication between understanding your identity not wanting to have your identity like how would you move around the world if everybody saw us as equal or as the same but then what does that mean in in some ways being asians also our superpower is it being that person who uh, can be unique in ourselves and we're even unique between different Asians. Tell us when you both met. You mentioned a little earlier, but I'd love to know a little bit of that story. Yeah,
2: so Amanda and I both met on a independent horror film called The Devil's Mile and we were both Japanese schoolgirls in it. The ones that like get kidnapped. Well, that kind of sounds not great, but it actually was a great experience In the fact of like we, everyone we met on that set was so wonderful, and we ended up bringing a lot of them onto Second Gen with us. I think the biggest turning point when we both met on there was there's a point where we get kidnapped, put in the trunk of a car, and uh, because it was an independent film, it it was a real car, and we got locked inside, and they lost the keys, <laughs> and we were just sitting in there, curled up, being like, "There has got to be a better way." <laughs>
1: For us and there to were actually le- three of us in there because there was a the camera office. Yes,
2: well. we also fit a, a camera yeah. operator and a camera and then two of us in, in the car. So, you know, it leaves you a lot to contemplate while, while everyone is running around asking where the keys are and you're sitting in the dark in a trunk of a car. It's motivating, really, I have to say.
1: It also makes you really glad that everyone's wearing deodorant. <laughs> <That's great laughs> yes, so that's where the <laughs> bonding happened butter.
2: and the inspiration Happened. That's how we kind of met, and then Amanda kind of wrote a a pilot script, and then I produced it and co directed it with Joe, who had done this. Like I said, we literally stole everybody from this independent film. We stole the camera guy, asked the director to help me learn how to direct it, stole like the lighting people, everybody, and they helped us shoot our first. What again? We thought was a pilot. We had no idea. We're like something that's twenty two minutes long. That's a pilot, right? And we shot that and cut it down and used that for pitching, and that's kind of how the beginning of of this started of Second Gen.
0: Wow, well, that's a wonderful story to to have and for with you forever. That bonding moment. I've been on some of those sets. You just here you are, and then you're all trapped in this little place, and you have to say, okay, this is how life is. And then you go to the next set, and you're like, this is we're going to do this again
2: for sure. Yeah. And also our DOP Dave Lamb, who we met on that set, is our DOP on Second Gen, and he's also. Uh, Chinese And like he's it really makes a big difference, you know, top down how like he's also hired a crew that is diverse as well. And so I'm really proud of the people that we've also brought brought along with us and we've all grown up together.
1: Yeah. And I think along with that is when you have two creators of color who are bringing in people that they know that they're more likely to know people of color working in the industry. The great thing about that was that our crew for so much of the show has been, I would say it's the most diverse crew I've ever worked with. It's like majority, I would say our crew is majority BIPOC, and I haven't seen that on, a, on any other TV series.
2: Yeah, and if they're not BIPOC, then they're female as a team lead, usually, mm. in general. It was kind it, it kind of balanced it out that, that, that way. If they weren't BIPOC, then they were going to be female. And like, yes, we had some white males. We're not excluding you guys, <laughs> but, but yes, it was, that was our team and it made a big difference.
0: That's so amazing. That's And I think that is so rare. It must feel great. And I want to get back, I want to go into that a little deeper, but let's backtrack a little bit because I know I've watched the show. I binged right through the season three. I loved it. I uh-huh. haven't, been, haven't been able to get to my VPN and get through what, season one and season two, but I've been sending it to my friends. I've been telling everybody, you should watch this show. It's going to hit Netflix one day and you're just going to be like, love it
1: uh, <laughs> and so yeah. Aww, shucks
0: and i just those friends who just love social justice and, and equity and just the, the diversity and the, the show was just about it <laughs> and i loved how it just hit so many parts i would love to introduce this show a little more to our audience because i want them to watch this to find it some way tell us a little more about second gen how the idea came about and, and what made you start this show what was some of that journey like
1: a lot of it relates to some of the stuff that we talked about, going out for these stereotypical roles and understanding that we were never going to play characters who were multi-dimensional people. We were always going to be the geisha and the white savior story if we didn't take it into our own hands. And a lot of the show is just drawn from real-life experiences, things that we experienced growing up, things we've experienced in our communities with our friend groups, things we've experienced as women in the workplace. It Everything that we put into Second Gen and every idea that we have comes from a place of truth and also comes comes along with our the idea that whatever story we tell we want it to only be able to be told in this specific way in our show
2: yeah something not
1: specific to our experience then it doesn't make it into the show
2: Yeah, like in the sense of, so for context for People too, it's it's about two like childhood best friends who grow up and try and make it out in the city. So, you know, we've been compared to like a broad city type of thing. But think then the stories that we pick are, there's kind of three major lenses that we look at. We look at what is it to be second generation? So is there a cultural difference in this story, a way to culturally uh, approach it? Is there a generational difference, you know, between our parents and ourselves as millennials and that? And then also as women, is there a gender difference? We kind of look at maybe similar stories that you maybe see in other shows, but there is a very specific viewpoint that we have, you know, so we... In season three, like I think for M&I, this is our favorite season. We talk about like yellow fever. We talk about workplace diversity. We also have like a tantra workshop, but also like how does being Asian and your culture even even influence that? Like your discussions at home, it's different. So that's that's the viewpoint
1: that we kind of take on everything. And just for context, I'm M. Sorry. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
2: Yes. No, no, Amanda's okay. is M. So
1: <laughs> the funniest thing is that, Samantha, that we're Samantha and Amanda and our nicknames are Sam and M. So in either case, oh. people mix up our names all the time.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah. When you hear M, that's Amanda. Sam is me,
1: Samantha.
0: Yeah. And, <laughs> and on the show, both your names are technically both Jen, right?
1: Yeah, and that came from a joke. We were talking about how you—if twenty Asian girls, fifteen of them will be named Jen. <laughs> I think less so now, but definitely growing up in the '90s. Sure.
0: The yeah, I probably know at least two. So yeah, it's—I thought you did such a wonderful job touching all these topics. There. You can talk about diversity and racial harassment and all these things in so many different ways. I think people, one of the first things people go through is like drama. They're looking at that trauma, the, the hardship of it. Amanda, you had said in C- at CBC, comedy is definitely and has historically been a tool for challenging society. What did you mean by this challenging society through comedy?
1: So, so we have to look at this like in the context of audience. And I think definitely if you're trying to convince people or show people a point of view, there's something that will make people shut down as soon as you start. Telling them you're going to teach them something or that they need to understand something. When you present it as comedy and you, you know, offer the chance to laugh, I think people are more willing to listen and they're more willing to let their guard down. I think that they're more willing to to see things from perspectives they might not have considered before, because they're willing to go along for the ride with a character that makes them laugh, with a situation that makes them laugh in a way that they wouldn't if they felt like they, if for some reason they felt like they might be being lectured, or if they felt defensive. So it's a really good, kind of sneaky way to to disarm people. But I also think that in telling these stories, I try to be conscious of of who the audience is. I don't want to just be telling stories to educate people on on racism. I also want to be creating things for audiences that are like me, audiences that can relate to what's happening and that can watch it and laugh because they've seen it before, because they've experienced it, because they can see these moments from their own history and their own lives and they can see it presented in a different and funny way. While drama also has that power, the power to educate and the power for people, for marginalized audiences to relate to. For me, my natural inclination is to lean toward comedy, and I think that's just how instinctually I operate as a storyteller, although I do like writing drama as well.
2: Yeah, I also feel like when we're writing and when we're in the writing room, you know, coming up with stories, people are like, oh, how do you find this lighter viewpoint? But it's also kind of, I think, naturally how we survive. Like, I... When bad stuff is happening, like I survive through dark humor, we survive through dark humor and laughter, like we're making jokes about being caught in (laughs) in a trunk of car. Like we're, we're, we're laughing at it, because that is actually genuinely how we how we as people (laughs) make it through. So that is also just like our genuine lens. I think when things get really dark, laughter is our
1: survival. There was this great idea that I read in in a book. Oh, gosh, I can't remember the title now. But they said it it was about racial inequity. And they were saying, if every indignation you experience puts you in a ditch, you'll never get through your day. We all have to find ways to deal with this. And and I think just like Sam's saying for us, humor is one of the ways to get by so that it doesn't destroy you, so that it doesn't put you off your game every day.
2: Yeah. And comedy is only like, well, at least the comedy that we love is the funniest because it's so honest. You laugh because you're like, oh my gosh, that's so true. That's why comedy and like this kind of, yeah, the revolution of it is, I think, so powerful because comedy is the funniest when it's surprising and true that someone was willing to say that. Someone was willing to point that out.
0: Yeah. And there's something to to be said about people who can take a moment that is so true, either hurtful or some way and just a different viewpoint of the life and turn into something that makes other people smile even if it's just your own smile and I don't know I definitely wish I was a comedian (laughs) I wish I was a better joke teller but I think it's necessary for this world for have people who can show us a different perspective on life
1: and so much of the educational work as it were is really just about shifting the POV of making somebody see a situation from a different perspective and so having the co- the main characters being women of color having it being written by women of color and having mm-hmm. the events be truthful to our experiences we automatically offer that educational element without having to try and we can just worry about making people laugh.
2: And being out there. I think that the thing is, too, like we have a kind of a heightened sense of humor. So like even in the workplace diversity kind of thing, it goes through like this insane maze where she's going to like the same place over and over again, seeing the same woman. Like it, it's also like finding a heightened way and fun way of doing it that I think keeps it really fun for us.
0: Samantha, in a TV's Junkie article, you said, I think it's obvious how broadcasters, directors, and creators can contribute to diversity. It's down to the viewer who is what changes a broadcaster's mind. You need to vote with your dollar. What did you mean by that? And what does it mean to have more diversity in our lives and in our workplace?
2: Yeah. So what I meant by the viewer being able to vote with their dollar is because that is ultimately what changes producers or broadcasters mind because they're ultimately looking at it being a business and making money. So the only way you get them to listen is through taking your money away and deciding where you put your money on what you're going to watch. So that's what I mean by you as a viewer can participate in this revolution by deciding even even if you're just watching Netflix, like deciding what to watch for a little bit because Netflix looks at what's being watched the most and then they order more based off of that. Like another example right now, uh, I'm so mad about like what's going on with Minari and like the Golden Globes and you know how it was put under best foreign film. I like I couldn't believe it. And, and like the best way I'm like, Hey, okay, what can I do? And yes, get up in arms on online and stuff like that. But two, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go pay to watch Minari. like Because that's right. like, if you're going to watch it, I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to put my money towards it because that is the only way these people listen. I'm, I've been shocked at like the higher ups, how much they kind of don't, Feel they need to listen to the uproar sometimes, and sometimes they do. But they only start feeling like they have to listen once their pockets change, and that's how we make changes by us voting with our dollar about what's important to us, what's important on on screen.
0: You're totally right. It's all about the the numbers for them. The only color they see is green.
2: Yes, uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: right. And it's the business. So,
2: I don't blame them. But like, right. if if we keep buying, if we keep buying the same white stories they'll be like well why would we change that that's the consistent one like <laughs> we have to so you know we we also have to change our our viewing i mean i kind of blame them a little but i i blame we, them we we blame them but we have to, we also have to like keep contributing in that way and changing the narrative ourselves together
0: i didn't want to pay for mulan And I didn't. Because the thing was, the thing is that I protested with my pocketbook as well. And so the idea was there's none of the Asian creators, none of the main upper levels here. So why should I put that into it when I'm telling you that's not what I want? Someone did change my mind and understanding what this meant was we only get three Asian films a year that you have to put the money into it, even if you hate doing it, like, The, just to see it to see that the Asian faces the Asian story like most of it's Asian to put it in there like it gets votes and so it's ah, dang it you're right but the Netflix thing it's not even paying with your pocketbook it's, it's paying with your viewership right It's you have to play it on because they're not advertising things to you that are Asian necessarily I had to change my whole algorithm just to find more Asian things because it wasn't being advertised to me
2: oh did so, you just like click on a lot of Asian things like how did you change m- your algorithm
0: I clicked on it I watched them I right, played right, right. certain things if I, if I didn't really want to watch it I was like and just play it and play in the background and stuff like that you just click things search things it definitely helped and i'll see more things now but so
1: what's so insidious about the algorithms is that they'll change the thumbnail based on what you usually click yes on.
2: i know yeah. all of my it's thumbnails started... are people
1: of color yeah <laughs> that's exactly what i was gonna say is that they now all of my thumbnails are the minor person of the minor character person of color And then I click on it and it's another show about white people.
0: (laughs) You had three full seasons, check and Jen. I think that's amazing in itself. And I'm so mad that I haven't heard about it earlier. What have, what has been some incredible changes you've witnessed throughout your series of being, writing it, getting it together and getting it on air? What's been your experience?
1: I think definitely the biggest change was how much control over this, over the show and over, over the stories that we were able to tell that, that we managed to get. Throughout the series, because at the beginning, we didn't have a ton of control and we didn't have final say on our stories, of course, and always, it's always an ongoing negotiation. There are a lot of stakeholders and a lot of people that you work through. But I would definitely say that the level of control we had in season one was nowhere near where it was in season three and season three is my favorite
2: yeah you'll see the huge difference if you watch season one so anyone watching now watch season three first because that is what amanda and i are proud of (laughs) and and then work backwards yeah work backwards
0: Hmm. we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our well not sponsors but we just want to uplift some great people who are doing amazing work east west players founded in 1965 East West Players is committed to raising the visibility of the Asian American experience by presenting inventive world class theater productions, developing artists of color, and providing impactful youth education programs. Their vision is to inspire and advocate for a world free of racism and discrimination through transformative artistic works. East West Players has since premiered more than 228 plays and musicals, along with over 1,000 diverse readings and, and workshops for actors, writers, and directors. By building bridges between East and West, they have cultivated a loyal audience of over 70% people of color. Their company continues to build platforms for artists of color while advocating for multifaceted representations of the Asian Pacific American experience in the performing arts. East West Players main stage is the David Henry Huang Theater, housed within the Union Center for the Arts in downtown Los Angeles' Little Tokyo District. The theater serves more than 25,000 people each year and has become a creative center in this historically significant setting. East West Players has committed to steering an intersectional focus that further unveils the diversity of Asian Pacific identities as portrayed on stage. Please visit the East West Players website at. Again, East West Players is currently not a sponsor. We just think that they are doing amazing work and we want to uplift them. So please take the time to look at their website, buy a ticket, and donate to their good cause. Now, back to my interview. What did you want in season one that you weren't allowed to have that they made you change? If you can comment on that.
1: It's a combination of factors. When you're quite young and you're new to making shows and everything, you just don't want to get in anyone's way. And you're not always able to voice if you feel like something is problematic or if you feel like a story is not being told in a way that you feel good about and there are definitely many moments in season one and where i do think that we did voice some concern maybe not enough i don't know because we were quite young that that made it through that that i don't feel comfortable with
2: yeah like Uh, we yeah we were like 23 24 years old when we did that first season and you'll naturally see if you look at season one and look at season three even who's who's telling what stories is different there's in season one it's more of a friends thing where you can see that there's two boys and then two girls Uh, season two and three are just two girls like so it just really focused more in on on us and that, and again it's not like a oh they made us do it like cuz that was part of our our premise but then we slowly realized like oh no it should be more focused on the two gens I think another really big thing that came through in season two, our episode that did the best, Like a Girl, was really about social issues. Amanda had written it, I had co directed it. And up until that point, people were nervous about us really leaning into social issues. And that was something we were passionate about because that episode had done so well. We were allowed then in episode, in season three, to like, Go for it. We were like, great. That was the, that was your popular episode. That was our favorite. We're going to do that again. And like this year I was directing and Amanda was writing more scripts. So even just visually and on the paper, we had, we just had a lot more control, even just in little things and in jokes and things of like what we thought was uh, funny, even in our taste. Yeah.
1: I think that everyone is always trying their best and everyone is always trying to make the most funny show possible. But when you don't have the creators of color, having the, f- having the final say on the scripts, which was the case in the first season, small changes and small word changes, if they're coming from someone who doesn't necessarily understand the intricacies of, of the experience or elements of intersectionalism or just even conversations that are being had in the community, small word changes and subtle changes to stories that might not be noticed by other communities have a completely different meaning in our community. And so I feel like that was part of it as well.
0: Being on a diverse set cast and crew, what was the major difference that you felt that you feel like more sets should feel like this?
1: There's a, Bridge of understanding you don't have to cross. And you're not constantly educating people and you're not constantly trying to smile when someone said some awkward racist thing that is such a common thing that happens on in the wider industry where you just have to smile and pretend that everything's fine despite the fact that people are spouting microaggressions around you. So there's definitely that. You feel more comfortable. You feel you stop being as racialized. Of course, we're all still people of color. But when everyone's a person of color you don't feel as out of place
2: yeah there's also this thing too that really helps as a creator when you have more people of color on a set because then you are not the only person catching the cultural things and you're not the only voice for your culture yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> like literally like dave and other camera people were helping me with my cantonese and being like sam that character was drawn so terribly <laughs> you got to." <laughs> <laughs> it, like like it's nice that so, like amanda and i are doing so much right we're we're writing directing acting that to keep also keep culturally like appropriate like everything in our brains is really hard and we don't we can't speak for everybody so the more voices mm-hmm. we have on set the more people that are catching stuff the more people that are making suggestions i mean we also keep a very open set to like talk, come talk to us
1: in that yeah, way i think I think when you are the only person of color, sometimes the onus can be put on you to represent the experiences of everybody from, if not every racialized group, from your racialized group. And that's unfair. That's not something that's put on white artists. They're not asked to speak for all white people. They're not asked to catch everything that might hurt or offend other white people. So it it definitely takes some of the burden that is unfairly placed on our shoulders a lot of the time it helps too with our
2: comedy because it is from our point of view to have other people with the same point of view so at least we know they're finding it funny (laughs) yeah we're like like, okay 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 they find it funny too they get the joke like we had we've had very specific even like language jokes and things like that that like it's really great to have people who are of the same background finding it funny because You know, that was also a bit of season one of like, oh, no, what we find funny, they don't find funny. Are we wrong?
0: Yeah, there's this validation, right? Whether it's validation that you're saying something that I feel like this is wrong and I feel funky about this. And if nobody else in the room says, no, that's fine. You're the only person. But if somebody else colors in the room and validates that point, you don't feel like you you feel like you're accepted. You feel like that viewpoint is not crazy. It's so valuable and on a film set, especially in collaborative movements.
1: Yeah, it's also less weird if you have to point out something that's problematic because then you're not the only person speaking. Oh my out. gosh,
2: yes, because everyone's nodding together. We pick people who have a goodwill and a good attitude, but there's also a community too of like people who want to lift each other up. We want to see everyone succeed. Yeah. I just felt like that was so prevalent with like having a stronger. Female and BIPOC crew. We just want us all to succeed, okay? How do I help you? <laughs> like vibe.
0: This being a female-led show, your series, of, I feel like this is a breakthrough for Asian female storytellers, especially in comedy. What do you want audiences to know and understand about being Asian women or Asian women in comedy that we might not realize? You know, I'm an Asian man, East Asian man, so it's like I only know so much. But like. What is something that you feel that a lot of audiences don't realize or you'd want them to know?
1: Yeah, intersectionalism. To me, it seems like such an obvious thing, but you'd be surprised how many people don't understand it still or don't realize that it exists, that you can experience oppression as a woman and you can experience (laughs) oppression as a person of color and you can experience oppression as a member of the LGBTQ community. There isn't just an Asian experience. It's very different to be an Asian woman than to being an Asian man. And we all have unique experiences. But definitely there there are things that we share as Asian women that are different from other groups. I don't know. How do you feel, Sam?
2: Yeah, I'm just thinking about, like, as an Asian woman in comedy, like, the I'm always thinking about, like, roles that I'm writing, roles that I'm playing and things, too, because the Asian women stereotype, especially in comedy, goes to, like, be a dragon lady. It doesn't always have to be that. Yeah,
1: or be a nerd or be, like a person who can't speak English or
2: yeah or be really demure like you got if you're gonna you're gonna either be demure or you're gonna be a dragon lady like and that's the only way to get comedy out and in some ways, and, and sometimes that is appropriate and is funny but also like the embrace of like what is just me as a person what do I think is funny because there, I think that's the stereotype working against as a female Asian comedian that I contemplate sometimes if that's clear. Not really sure if that was clear. But
1: and also that there are different things that people deal with depending on what kind of Asian they are, that like the experience of lighter skinned East Asian people is very different from the experience of Southeast Asian people and especially darker skinned Southeast Asian people. That there are intricacies in these and and we do try to address them in the show as well.
2: I think also, too, for any of my like our Asian female out there you have two hits going against you for trying to speak out <laughs> about your like trying to like be really loud like one being asian they're like okay you know the model minority be quiet be grateful and then you're also a woman and you're like be quiet be grateful <laughs> so like that voice is very loud it's, it takes a lot of effort personally it, and it's very loud and still in my head to be like no speak out You deserve to be here. Yep, you're gonna. Maybe someone's gonna think you're a bitch. Maybe someone's gonna think you're annoying. And like, just to really acknowledge for our Asian women out there that, like, hey, you're going against two really hard things right now. Be
1: kind to yourself. And sometimes you don't. You'll make yourself go in circles because you're not sure. Am Am I speaking out too much? Am I not? Are people (laughs) reacting to me because they have biases? And so you have this additional level of neuroticism. (laughs) Yes. you have to deal with because you're constantly worried are people reacting this way because of this or because they have a bias
2: yes and then that's also why it helps to have like why it helps for me to have amanda and also like multiple BIPOC people because you can check in and be like i don't know was that right wrong because it's microaggressions right now right yeah and
1: just to go back to that model minority thing as well i don't regret i think our parents generation in many ways had to smile and put up with Mm -hmm. it didn't feel like they could speak out and that that was their way of surviving and i try to be really careful when we talk about these myths and talk about these tropes that were put on on our people, and especially on our parents' generation, and just consider that people have different ways of surviving, and for that generation, a lot of it was silence.
2: Hmm. And that can and that can be respected, and we can also talk at the same time. I think yeah. we can hold we can hold the duality. That is something too. Mm-hmm. Like right now, holding duality as. As women, as as bipoc, as mm-hmm.
0: yeah. It's so much thoughts in our heads, and certainly your heads. How much do I have to pretend? How much my code switching? It's I am sure it's exhausting. It's exhausting for people of color, but for people of color, women of color is just so much more. And women of color who have different identities that aren't against the quote unquote norms, it, it just feels so. It's a lot. It's a lot. I think we should have more conversations about this and more respect for people who have to go through so much and give. Let them be. <laughs> uh,
1: that's a great you know, point because like, I think people be. expect it, that the, that we're going to be angry or sad all the time. And yeah, there's moments where we're angry and sad, but I feel like the overwhelming emotion that I feel from racism is just being tired. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone else that's sleep? It. Like I just I, I I witness six hours of microaggressions and I just want to nap. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> yes. What's next for the both of you? Season three hasn't is has not been renewed. Is there a season four, or you want to kind of other shows?
2: So unfortunately, there is no season four. That this that was our last season. But Amanda and I are very proud with how it ended. So I'm definitely developing a new a, a new series, different as well. I can't talk about it yet.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm working on a, a number of different shows right now and just trying to put more good out into the world and showing things from different perspectives and trying to create a more equitable society through the media that we're putting out. And I think that ultimately is is my goal as an artist, is I feel like that's my calling in life. So it's something that I'm bringing to the new shows that I'm working on and, and have been lucky enough to be working on. And you're allowed to say one of the shows
2: you're working on, aren't you? It's been already announced.
1: Oh, yeah. So I've got actually uh, two shows premiering tonight, the Parker Andersons and Amelia Parker, which will be premiering on Super Channel in Canada. It's about a multiracial family, black father uh, widower who uh, remarries a white divorced woman and they have kids from their previous marriages and uh, they live in Chicago. So it's about their family coming together and exploring this new dynamic while also living as a mixed racial family in, in America.
0: Awesome, I can't wait to tune in. What's the one message you'd like to share with future Asians in entertainment?
1: I hope you don't have to deal with as much as we did. I hope that the work that we're putting in makes it easier for you. That's my hope at the end of the day. But other than that, be truthful to yourself be okay with feeling hurt sometimes, be okay with being angry and be okay with being tired sometimes and do what you need to do to survive. And don't let anyone make you feel guilty for speaking out or for not speaking out. You also have the right to be silent when you need to. And just take care of yourself and nourish yourself as an artist and as an individual before you worry about yourself as a professional, because if you don't take care of yourself, none of that other stuff matters.
2: I feel like the, there's a lot of pressure to be a crusader and to be a perfect crusader sometimes. And I think all that matters is that you're trying in your own small ways. And sometimes trying is just taking care of yourself. And also, if you have doubts sometimes, or if you're like, oh, man, I did the wrong thing. That's okay. I think it's okay to, I think we have to be kind to ourselves like of with also making mistakes and not doing it right. You're just trying. And the doubt monsters in your head, if you're like, oh my gosh, I'm still doubtful about this. Does that mean that I'm not confident or that I'm not worthy or any things like that? We all have the doubt monsters. They're going to be there forever. It's okay. <laughs> it doesn't change your, you know, your ability to speak out. I still, when I write an email, you know, to somebody and I've been producing for a while, have to go through and take out all the stories and all the apologies and all the things. It's just, it's a thing. <laughs> I'm kind about myself to that and I want you to be
0: too. That's so great. Yeah. Taking out those sorries and just wanted to no, just I'm doing it.
2: <laughs> yes. Just take it out. Like know that that's part of the thing. That's part of the deal and process right now. And that's okay. But then, you know, take a moment and take it out.
0: It's awesome. Well, that's some great advice. And, and I, I just enjoyed really speaking with both of you. So uh, I don't want to keep you too long, but this was really great. Thank you so much coming on the podcast and Uh, sharing your thoughts. I have so many other questions. We'll do this again some other time, but I really enjoy your show. Uh,
1: Yeah, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at NotAmandaJoy.
2: And I'm on also Instagram and Twitter, mostly on Instagram. I'm at Wan W-A-N. And yeah, I for sure would love to come back. This is really great. Thanks
1: for the talk. Thank you so much for having us.
0: So welcome to come back anytime. All right. Have a great week. Enjoy whatever you're doing and eat some food, drink some water and just have a great day. Thanks. Take care. Take care. I just want to thank Sam and Amanda again for being on the podcast. I had a great conversation with them and I can't wait for this careers to just skyrocket because they're super hilarious, but also extremely nice and they get it. They understand the industry like we do. And I think that's, what's important about what change needs to happen within the industry. And so we're the ones who are going to start to make that happen and we have to do it together. So I just want to plug their show for them. If you go to OmniTV.ca, so that's omnit vca And the link will be in our show notes. You can actually watch all of season three on the website. It's so great. So binge-worthy. Like, just do it. Do yourself a favor. You know, Kim's Convenience is off the air now. This is the next thing. So, like, just turn this on. I enjoyed it. It, it's, It's so great. So... Just wanted to plug that for them. Tune in next week for our episode with Jason Chu and Alan Z. Where we're talking about the music industry and what they're doing with their album they put out for Heritage Month, which was last month. Again, we're a little bit behind, so we wanted to come out at the right time. But you know, here we are. Here we go. So here's a little preview. With um, even me and Jason's work that we've been putting in terms of raising awareness, I think it's way more susceptible for people to hear now than maybe even five years ago. And I think for me, definitely. It's about yeah let's use our voices but i always want to push it one level deeper you know what i'm saying instead of just oh like hate is you know bad and and love is good which is true but it's like yo where does it come from you know what i'm saying i feel like any time that we can dive a little deeper is super important and before we go i want to talk to you briefly about our crowdfunding campaign if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to hear more please go to our crowdfunding page at strongasianlead.com crowdfunding and Donate a dollar. Donate two. What have you got? You got 20 cents? We'll take it. That being said, thanks again for listening. This is another episode of Strong Asian Lead. My name is David Masami Moria, and we'll see you next week.